update our art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube, 9 p.m. California time, and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later. You can always check things out at CoreyKerr.com slash 48HR. We take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast. Today's topic is shot choice in our four-page comics. And so basically, um, wait, shot choice is a bad way of putting it. What? How should we call the topic? <laughs> oh, man. Um, framing? Yeah. Um, staging? Framing, staging, blocking. Those. I mean, they're all film terms. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So um, here we go. So the topic is framing, staging, and blocking on our comics and particularly pertaining to the comics that we're working on for the hundred days of making comics challenge, um, for the anthology, uh, their, it's their second anthology called werewolves and unicorns. It's an anthology, both Corey and I have been invited, uh, to be a part of. And, um, we've had to kind of tackle a lot of challenges, including like, since we're both such like kind of long winded people doing a short story and um and within a short story like where you only have really like four pages it's very limited real estate um for someone i think geared in the way i'm geared and so um the way that you choose to kind of frame and stage and um kind of visually um set up your panels really has a massive effect because you have a limited amount of time to make an impact um, and to tell, you know, a fairly complicated story, like in, in Corey's case, it's a, it's a, a pretty big undertaking. Um, and so I think I, I am kind of curious, like, what were you kind of thinking with the staging of your, of your page? Like, why did you decide to like a good starting point would be like, why did you decide to kind of start it off with like a big spread where we're being introduced to all the different characters in your story? Um, what was kind of the thinking behind that? Yeah, so <clears throat> I heard I heard somebody talking about this one time, and in film you have the ability to um, shoot a continuous shot or a series of shots, and so uh, you know if somebody's uh, you know walking to their car and then they see that there's a broken window, and then they get out their keys and they unlock the door and they brush the glass off the seat and they get in the car and they start driving. Um, and then, you know, they run a red light. Like you can just have a shot of all of that happening. Right. But in a comic, you can tell the same story, but you have to choose the key moments. Um, and you know, each, each key moment might be, um, you know, the, the make or break of how clear it is what you're saying. And so for me, um, Invincible, which is uh, directly above my head right here. Um, every time they switch to um, this underground CIA superhero place, it's like the same establishing panel. And it's this panel that goes across the top. And and in any case, that I, I just think Kirkman and Otley did that just really, really well in that without having to have text in there or, or whatever else. I mean, they had a little thing that said, you know, secret headquarters or whatever, or something like that. But um, the, the establishing shot 
is, is I think really important. And then you're pointing to, and I don't have that page loaded, but you're pointing to this page where I'm, my character is rambling through this story drunkenly um, at a pub and he's listing off a ton of different characters and and I'm trying to imagine it as if it's like kind of a Guy Ritchie film like Legend of the Sword or something and we're running through kind of this really hyper sped up montage of um, character backstories um, but almost just like speeding past it because you just want to get an idea of the team rather than each individual and so I just felt like the best way to do that would be um, almost diagrammatic. Um, and so I kind of combined the ideas of doing um, like this moment in time, because the idea is that Captain Ahab from Moby Dick has come back from the dead and he has gathered or raised from the dead um, this crew of like supernatural encrypted Creatures, and so we've got we've got werewolves, and we've got manades, and we've got uh, mermaids, and and satyrs, and all kinds all kinds of different things. Um, but the point is that he's raised them, and so I chose the I chose the moment moment of him raising the Pequod, which was the the ship that was sunk by Moby Dick in that in that story. And so we have the Pequod like levitating out of the water, surrounded by. Um, I forget what they're called, but they're little brooches that they used to wear. I think they might even be called cameos, but um, they're little brooches where they're like really ornately decorated around the edge with um, uh, usually like a porcelain like relief of a face, like a bust or a profile shot. And so, because I'm trying to show like old and new and stuff like that. So I did I did this giant splash page. Um, because I felt like this was the moment in time that kind of showed, um, you know, both the gathering and the raising from the dead. Um, and, and that's kind of why I did that. Um, but I also did it out of necessity because I don't have 20 pages to have, you know, Ahab go through, you know, little adventures trying to create a droger, you know, Viking zombie or whatever. And so I just show him there in a, in a little circular panel. And the rest is assumed. So I, I did it. I did it mostly to just speed up, speed up the process because I had, I had to gather everybody in a page. I didn't. I didn't have any more room. Yeah, I think that um, that actually is a, a, a pretty good reason. I mean, I think that that's another thing to kind of consider when doing staging and stuff. Is like um, comics are really utilitarian medium in the sense of like you know every panel you're kind of including should have an intention um because it it's going to have a much higher um impact and take up a lot more space and time than uh like a frame in a film and so it's like it's important that you know kind of like a key frame for a film which is like you know kind of like the key moments that you're going to be having in a sequence if you're like storyboarding, that's a little more similar to comics. Um, and, and very similarly, like I, I, when I was thinking about staging, um, my comic, like the first panel is kind of a, um, a pulpy, like B movie poster, (laughs) um, kind of look. And it's basically because you're going to be introduced to this game, that's being played between, you know, this stuffed dinosaur and this little kid. Um, 
but I wanted to start it off like kind of showing almost what's in that kid's head, like what, you know, this dinosaur who's the, the basic gist is he's refusing to play nicely and he just wants to eat all of the superheroes that they're <laughs> playing superheroes with. And a little boy wants to play superheroes and has no interest in having them eaten by the dinosaur because they're supposed to like go fight the super villain. And so, um, I wanted to kind of show like what that would look like for him when the dinosaur is like interfering with the game and it's not a dinosaur, it's a dragon, but, um, but the, when the dragons, um, influenced by the game or, or interfering with the game, like how that feels and looks for him. So, and I also thought it would be a fun kind of attention grabber at first. Um, there's a couple things, a couple little tricks I considered like, um, one of the things that I used to always teach in, when I taught illustration um, that like most illustrators don't utilize enough. I still don't see it used enough. I forget to use it all the time. But um, strangely, there is something beautiful and wonderful that happens when you throw your horizon line off. Yeah. Um, and almost everyone innately kind of draws with a straight horizon. And so when you frame something with a straight horizon, it kind of has no movement or action to it. So you'll see, like, actually, um, like, there's an intentional straight horizon on the page I was doing for quarterly stories. But in the case of something like a B-movie poster where you want a lot of movement and action just kind of tilting a little bit and having that horizon line askew creates a lot of movement and action. And it's something I don't see used enough and I usually try to use it whenever I remember to and whenever I can. Um, so I'm going to be using a lot of that just to kind of bring a little more action to what could otherwise be like a slightly mundane thing because it's not a high-action story. Right, um, and, and ultimately so, you have action figures that are inanimate. Um, yeah. And so, but the, but the interesting thing is that you are uh, you're conveying that they are action figures kind of from the start, but at the same time uh, showing them through kind of the kid's imagination. And so it's interesting kind of the Dutch angle aspect of that because diagonal lines uh, kind of convey a sense of action, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think, I think that's really important. One, one thing that I, I realized that I see you doing this, um, but, uh, but uh one thing I realized is that when um, when I was watching West Wing years ago, um, I was watching kind of the behind the scenes on the, on the DVD, and one of the things that the uh, director of photography did for for that show was they did a lot of handheld, um, and this is before that was really popular, but they also did a lot of snap zooms, and those snap zooms tend to uh, frame certain things that normally didn't get framed. And so most of the time, and I see this a lot in, in, in comics that we want to see the beautiful people's face, right? And that's the most important thing that we see. Um, you know, as people are talking, we see their face, but in, in the West Wing, you'd have them snap zoom to their hand or their, their foot fidgeting or, you know, them doing something with their button on their shirt you know, or something like that. And, and you would see these little moments and it actually reminded me of how we look at people when we are interacting with them. And so one of the, one of the things that I've always tried to do with comics, um, and I noticed that you do this in quarterly stories is, uh, is huge close ups on, uh, 
body language or things that are symbolic of what's of what's going on um, that that is more than just somebody emoting on their face, you know. Um, and so you, you can you can close up on somebody fidgeting with their keys, you know, or or do a close up on like a diagram of a brain as we're, as we're talking about how people feel when when I feel like a lot of um, a lot of cartoonists would show somebody experiencing the emotions that you're talking about rather than show the symbol of a brain being attacked. You know, I mean, we have in the comics medium um, the ability to uh, to be a little surreal at times um, or or kind of hyper close up. And, and in, in like the Western style of visuals, we tend to be very literal um, but in the Eastern style, they tend to be very symbolic. And so you look at like manga and an Eastern style of storytelling and they'll have like a montage of panels that aren't necessarily sequential uh, in, in that they happened in, in, in a sequential time frame or that they're even related, but that the overall mood of those things causes kind of a feeling or a theme to kind of develop on these tiny little moments that uh, in and of themselves don't, necessarily do anything but as a as a whole kind of kind of build up and so i think i think that's something that we can take into account as well is uh to change it up and see like is there is there a better way to to convey this yeah and i i totally actually um it's something i haven't utilized enough as well as well um i I I do I have had quite a few moments when I would rough out a page for quarterly stories and then I would step back and be like, do I want to show exactly what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, because there's some moments where that works beautifully. It's like almost kind of a redundant thing and, and you can use redundancy and repetition kind of like you can in music to kind of create a mood or um, like a rhythm or a cadence. So yeah. it's like, um, I think there's even a kind of humor bit where, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I think it was on my last page, but um, it, it's basically like uh, he's looking at like the, the kid version of me um, is like looking at his friend's drawing and he, and he, and in the panel that's describing it, it says, and it was pretty good. And then the next panel is him going, this is pretty good. And like, that's meant to be just like a bit, like not a huge bit, but just to bring a little humor. So the repetition and showing like literally showing and not only showing, but repeating what you already heard kind of becomes a device to kind of create a rhythm and a cadence. So like in those cases, if it's intentional, I think it's good. Like you'll notice on that page, um, I, I use a lot of repetition um, and some of it is kind of like, um, I, I'm trying to remember what that would be called. Like when, when somebody uses like a nickel slot, you know, and, and you're watching like a, a silent film, it's a little pantomime. Mm-hmm. So like that page, because of the, the, the pacing and the tempo of it, I wanted it to have a lot of um, repetition. I wanted it to kind of focus on like, like the character Jacob, like he has this moment where he kind of looks behind him and then moves back. And I wanted that to feel kind of like animation. Yeah. So there was a reason for that being really repetitive and kind of literal. But there's other times where I've been doing um, description of something that's happening, and I've chosen to show something else. And that actually has a really – it's something I want to utilize more because, like, sometimes it does help to just, like – if you have somebody – 
I'm going to think of a hypothetical that would be like a tense situation where the temptation would be to just draw the face in somebody like in, in an extreme sorrow or something. So like, let's say it's a, um, a scene in a story where, um, a doctor is telling someone that, uh, that their you know, their family members not going to live something really intense like that. Yeah. Now you could focus on like the, the person hearing it, and 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 the doctor and just show a shot of them and then face and face and a bunch of floating heads where like there's a lot of tears <laughs> and i don't think you'd get a mass emotional impact i mean you could do some beautiful drawing but where you're going to start getting emotional impact is like Corey was mentioning earlier is like hands so you could focus on the hands of the person waiting like maybe they're kind of their hands are like folded together and they're kind of maybe noodling with it nervously because they're nervous because they're hearing this information and then maybe the hands do something different and so it's it becomes that or it becomes like maybe you focus on like the corner of the room you know like i'm, I'm just saying like you know because in a situation like that like a hospital room's cold and dead and like could there be a corner of the room where there's a fly i mean the point being like right like we're human beings in a three dimensional world where our attention is constantly shifting. So even during conversations, we're not always looking people directly in the eye unless we're in like a job interview. So, so it's like to kind of, if you're trying to bring people into a story, focusing on little things. Um, and, and like, I think that was really well staged on, on your second page, um, choosing to kind of, to show like, you, you show the action that you need to show because you need to show action. So we need to see that narwhal, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot more is said with just that hand, that thumb holding the coin. Yeah. Um, and it brings a lot of interest to it. So I think, I don't know. I mean, to me, I think um, that's a really good method. And, and, uh, and, and it's a little, you know, I think it's outside of the box. And I think that kind of thing... Um, I don't know. It has all kinds of benefits, you know. So yeah, and and I and I think um, another thing in the in what you're describing, another thing that I see done um, really well in comics a lot is that the dialogue will continue. So if if you if dialogue were audio in a film, um, then the dialogue or the audio continues um, longer than the scene change. And so you could be telling somebody, you know, uh, you know, hey, I'm sorry that your 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 father didn't make it through the surgery, um, and the last half of that sentence spills over into a panel where we've already cut to the next the next scene, and maybe it's a scene of like the nursery with uh, you know with like a like a teddy bear on the ground or something like, and and you kind of juxtapose like what that family is going to miss. Yeah. Um, you know, in his absence, visually, while you're hearing kind of the end of that sentence, and 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 that works, that works really well um, in comics, yeah. especially if it's like the last panel right before the page turn, or yep. the first panel, um, and the dialogue continues after an ellipsis onto the next page, and 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 you get kind of that reveal, that little moment of reveal, you know, that that can be really poignant. More so than seeing an emotion on somebody's face, is you see the effect of that 
you know, whatever that, that beat is, that character beat that just happened, uh, you see the impact of it. Um, yeah, and, I mean, that's go, utilized a lot in Watchmen, actually. And yeah. it's usually the last panel of the, um, the, I think it's a nine-panel grid. And it's usually the last panel, um, like somebody will be having a conversation, and it'll pan to something else. It might even pan to the story within the story. Right. And, and have these kind of overlays of, of of time, but it works really fluidly and it doesn't interfere with the storytelling. So like, um, I, I think of that instantly or for just showing something different. Um, one of my favorite comics that got me into like indie comics was death, the high cost of living. And there's a sequence where this character who's a smoker is, is has basically been beaten up and they're dying. Like they're, they're like bleeding to death. And, um, they've just gotten like beaten and stuff and there should, you know, you see the guy, but then it chooses to kind of focus on cause he was smoking and it, it focuses on the cigarette butt on the floor and you watch the cigarette butt burn out. And it's like, it barely has any words, but you get that it's like this person's actually dead just from a, a simple like shot of like a cigarette just slowly burning out. And like, to me, that kind of thinking, um, you, you know, it's assuming the best of the audience because yeah. like the, you know, we've all kind of seen um, films that kind of treat the audience as if they're, they're fools or read a book where, where people treat the audience as if you're not going to get it. And, um, and a lot of the times what that ends up doing, instead of making something deep, it just kind of makes you feel like you're getting hit over the head with it. Right. And, um, and so like, uh, allowing the audience to be smart enough to kind of figure out like, okay, I know it's saying this thing and not showing it, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I, I think that's a really cool, cool kind of method. Yeah. Anyhow, sorry. To no, that's fine. Way. And one, one, one more thing that I, that I really enjoy doing, um, because I think there's, uh, there's subtle ways to do this, which I think land really well. And there's really obvious ways to do this, which I think land really well is, uh, kind of the setup and the payoff. Um, and, and it, and, and you can do it like almost like a shot reverse shot, or you can do it like kind of like a game of volleyball where it's like, uh, you know, a pass, a set and a spike. And, and, and the idea is, and, and one of the, one of, one of the really good examples of this over the course of an entire story arc, um, is limbo. Um, limbo is this, is this quirky weirdo. Uh, comic and I just love it I just can't get enough of it um, but it starts off with this guy in this bar and and he's eating this this fried lizard on a stick and he says you know these guys have the best lizard on a stick in town right and it's just this moment it has nothing to do with anything and it's actually just the precursor to him getting in a bar fight with a bunch of like fish people and uh, and then later on in the story he is fighting an alligator in this kind of gladiator pit, uh, with a spear. And, uh, and he actually mentions the lizard on a stick, uh, in that. And, and even though like, it's not even the same animal, you know, or even the same framing. Um, but that's just the imagery and the mention of that gives you like these nice little bookends. It's like a nice callback to some, to, to like a moment. Right. And so you can also like do what you did, um, which is 
you show something the same and then you show one of those panels differently. And that one panel that's different, like the kid is sitting there, we see the back of his head, and then we see him turn around. And then we get that payoff again of him turning back around. We see the back of his head again. And it's this nice little bookend payoff. And it shows kind of a continuity and a passage of time. And it emphasizes the differences that happen either in between or the juxtaposition of the setup and the, and the response. Um, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. And I like one of, one of my favorite uh, cartoonists, if you guys listen to this at all, you, you guys will know it's like um, Chris Ware is like, I think a genius at using that kind of thing. Um, Jimmy Corrigan's full of a lot of that. And actually funnily enough, it's full of a lot of the things we're talking about. Like there are points in Jimmy Corrigan where it'll just cut to a page where it's a cutout project where it's like, you know, those old paper cutout books. Yeah. And it'll be like a paper cutout of a robot. But then the instructions for the paper cutout, like, which, by the way, work. So you could actually cut them out and build all these paper projects out of that. But the the neat thing is you feel like, okay, this is just like filler inside the story. But then when you read the instructions, it's continuing the narrative. And so, like, the instructions themselves become, like, part of the story and reinforce like the theme and the feeling of the story. Um, and then like, there's also moments with the repetition that we were talking about where, um, and I know I've mentioned this before, but one of the, one of the moments my mind was blown reading that book was literally a panel sequence. That's like, it's like 50 panels on a page showing this character just sitting at a cafe with a drink. Occasionally, like he kind of sips his drink. That's one panel puts it down that's the other the next panel's like maybe him looking awkwardly to the side the next one's him like doing a little rub of his nose and going sniff and then like you you feel that for like the whole page it's just like him constantly kind of looking awkward and like rubbing his nose and going sniff and like after a while like it, it's weird but it's like that one page gives you so much information about this character right um just through this weird repetitive action um and and at any time i can kind of that like that's the thing that i love about kind of staging and pacing in, in comics is like anytime you can kind of use because they're all tools in the toolbox and I think one of the fun, addictive things, one of the reasons we can go on forever about this kind of stuff <laughs> is that um, comics are kind of like limitless yeah. in the possibilities of what way you could choose to tell a story, which is tying into like our theme from, from last time. Another reason not to worry super bad about originality because just the way you choose to frame your story is going to be different if you're a writer artist. And so you have this like, really like unique angle to it because of the fact that, you know, you're choosing to like start it out with a big splash page with a bunch of ornately Victorian style frames of each character and stuff, or, or like started out as a B horror movie, you know, Um, even though it's like a, a somewhat sentimental story. That's like slice of life. So it's like you, you can go any angle, um, and then I think by kind of by choosing to go a little outside of the obvious, which would be just like, you know, everything's seen from the side, like as if it's presented on a stage, you know, um, I, I don't know. I, I think that is a cool, 
yeah. cool kind of ability we have. Yeah, and I, and 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 I I was thinking as you're talking of <clears throat> one of the one of the proudest moments I think I had uh, in the Tongue Cut Sparrow children's book that I illustrated was. Um, and, and and there's no panels because because it's a it's a full page illustration but but the term is called blood in the gutters um, and it's this idea where leaving something up to the viewer's imagination is often way more powerful than showing it to them and uh, and it, it comes from um, uh, and I can't remember the exact term but it was I think it's I think it's blood in the messenger and 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 it's back to Greek plays. Um, where they didn't have the technology or the budget or the people to be able to show this big, giant, expansive battle of thousands and tens of thousands of soldiers and armies being decimated. And so what would happen is there would be people off to the side talking, and then a messenger would run up and and say, you won't believe what just happened, and describe it, right? Um, But in comics, it's interesting because you can set that up and then you can show the result of it. And there is there's this one there's this one three page sequence uh, that ends the book um, in, in the Tonka Sparrow where uh, the the villain she opens this box and is on the edge of a cliff and is scared by these monsters. And you see her teetering backward. Right now, I could have shown her falling and tumbling and and you know and falling and hitting the ground and breaking you know, on the, on the ground beneath. But what I actually did is I did one page where she was scared, the same exact page where there was just nothing but an empty box and her hat hanging off of a, off of a stick that was poking out of the cliff. And so it showed like the cause and then you imagined the effect and then it showed the results. And then it ended with the same uh, scene that the first page was. The first page was this man and his wife, and she's super mean to him, and he's fishing, trying to ignore her, um, but he's not happy, and he's covered in shadow. And then the closing scene after she dies, um, man, it makes it sound like a horrible story, but after she dies is the same shot, but he's hanging out with his bird on the same pier, fishing, smiling, and the sun is shining because uh, yeah. it's a different time of day. And so showing those kind of cause cause and then skipping the effect and but showing the results you get to imagine what that would be like and it's almost way more powerful at times to not show something even though that kind of flies in the face of like show don't tell um there are times where you leave it up to the viewer's imagination and they just fill in the gaps better than than you can yeah and i mean i i you know it's a it's a tried and true kind of example and and I'm sure very cliche to bring up, but it's like the perfect example of that's like psycho shower scene where you never actually see the knife like hit. And yet it's one of the most horrific scenes ever filmed. And, and part of that was like the reasoning was literally the censors wouldn't let them. But what's weird is by doing that, it, it's it's still much more horrific than a lot of modern horror movies that would just show the person right. get you know stabbed or whatever. Well, and I think you um, do. because I think like you what's do. in your head is often like much more frightening yeah. than what um, what the reality of something is. Same, so, same thing with Jaws. The fact yeah. that the shark does not show up until the end. Uh, there's so much 
suspense and so much uh, foreshadowing to that moment that it really builds it up. Whereas, and they really did that because they couldn't get the shark to work for most of the filming, (laughs) but it it paid off in that um, it paid off in that uh, it left it up to our imagination, which is mainly the experience that we have. We're in the, we're in the water and a piece of kelp brushes your ankle and you're like, there's sharks. You imagine it in your mind. And during that movie, you imagine the shark, in your mind more than you see the shark. And it's the same thing. I think if you saw in psycho, if you saw that blade sink in to the skin and it was like the super ultra close up shot and it was really realistic of how it would really look at everything, it wouldn't have as much impact. You'd get kind of the gross out factor, but you wouldn't get the, the terror. So, Oh wait, I, Josh has been muted. I can't hear you. Oh goodness! Sorry, oh, you're back. There um, we go. I had, I just realized I had accidentally hit. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good example. Um, Jaws is like a, it's got this like moment of um, just a lot of moments of tension. And what's weird is they also lucked out because you'll notice it still kind of holds up. Right. And a lot of films that were like high budget, like showing all the special effects at the time, don't hold up as much. Because the special effects have dated themselves, but what what doesn't date itself is like suspense and suggestion, and so like, um, yeah, that's definitely something. Like, if you guys are out there working on comics or anything like that, or like stories, like try to think like what's the, what's the frame you could show? Is it would it be better to not show it? Um, there's also a pleasure in like showing it. Yeah. I mean, like a good example of that's like Calvin and Hobbes, where very rarely are you going to look at like a Watterson page and it's going to show like a flower instead of Calvin and Hobbes. Right. Um, it's going to show those characters and you're watching them play and do these things. And it's, it's a lot of joy and fun to look at, but it's like, you know, just go, go forward with it with intention, you know? And I think um, that'll work out. And there are some moments even in Calvin and Hobbes, you know, where it would be like a cheesy romance comic. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you would get the fact that it's actually them. So it's, you know, I, I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think, uh, I love staging. I love thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and, and, um, I, I try to kind of explore it as much as possible. And it's something I have to consciously remind myself of because usually if I just go straight with my first idea, it's just a literal interpretation. Right. And I think I think that's true. Everybody, um, let's let's suggest a couple books to help people get out of that, and then let's wrap. So I think anything by Scott McCloud, right? Making comics, reinventing comics. They they go through a lot of this stuff in depth. And then one um, that I recently came across uh, last year was Framed Ink, is phenomenally good as as far as that goes. And so if you're if you're finding yourself um, a little stuck in kind of the talking heads and the same shots and the same poses. Um, check out, check out those three books that, that will, that will really help. Um, and then Josh, you'll probably bring up Jimmy Corrigan is a really good one. Watchmen is really good. Um, uh, I, I'll say, uh, 300 by Frank Miller is, is phenomenal as far as yeah, that there's stuff. A, there's also a really, um, just classic uh, little poster that you can pretty much find almost anywhere online now. The twenty-two panels that always work by Wally Wood. Yeah. Um, it's just it it it's not 
it's it's not showing too many suggestive panels, but it does like for framing and for kind of like um, making a conversation sequence or something like that more entertaining than just showing two talking heads. It's great. It's a, it's a really good resource. Yeah, absolutely. And you can just Google that, and 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 it is it is really awesome. Mm-hmm. So if you want to check out my stuff, go to CoreyKerr.com. And uh, if you want to check out this podcast, you can find it on Stitcher, Google Play, um, Spotify, now the, uh, iTunes, so pretty much wherever. I know it's on some others as well. And if you would like to listen to this podcast and it's not on the podcast network that you choose to subscribe to, uh, let us know and I will submit it to that. Um, and you can always check that out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. If you want to check out Josh's stuff, go to quarterlystories.com to see a lot of the shot selections, posing, acting, framing, all that jazz that uh, that Josh is doing there. And if you get a chance, um, download tapas.io. Um, either you can download that as an app on your phone or you can go to the, the site and subscribe to quarterly stories there. Um, and every kind of subscription really helps Josh out. So uh, we'd love to hear um, in the comments. I think this could be a really active comment section. Um, and so I would love to hear kind of your favorite ways of um, kind of communicating, uh, your, your, your tricks, your kind of go-to as far as uh, blocking and framing and, and shot selection and camera angles. And anyway, how, how are you choosing to use uh, the medium? I'd love, to, I'd love to read about that in the chats. And uh, we'll see you guys in a couple days.